Welcome to the HR Cartel Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Dive. If you're joining us for the first time, the HR Cartel Podcast, we are fearlessly and uh, taking an unfiltered approach at dissecting Australian workplaces. That means employment law decisions and, uh, and, and new laws that come out. That means unions and union conduct. That means staff, employees, academics, all sorts of things. So uh, welcome to the podcast if this is your first time. And uh, give us a subscribe and a like on whatever platform you're listening to. We've uh, we've now got a brand new um, Instagram uh, page. So get on over there and follow that. That's the underscore HR underscore cartel underscore podcast on Instagram. Jump on there and be alerted when we've got new episodes come up. So um, also, this is sponsored by Workplace Advisory Specialists. That's workplaceas.com. Go to workplaceas.com to check out some more podcast episodes, check out some uh, information on HR, industrial relations, updates. There's some free tools there for performance management as well that you can download right now. Jump on over and have a look and uh, and shoot out any questions. Get in touch. Um, we've got the HR Cartel podcast at gmail.com where you can send in some questions and some topics to talk about if you want to. Even just give us a bit of criticism. We'll be fine with that. Um, go ahead and do it. What I want to talk about right now, now we're, we're dealing with a few situations right now where companies are starting to look at, sorry about that, companies are starting to look at how they're operating, the cost of how they operate, how effective their, their workplace model is and that sort of thing. Um, and we're seeing this a lot in the construction sector, retail, um, you know, those, those sectors that are, that, that are feeling the pinch right now uh, most commonly. But generally speaking, there is a bit of fear in the market around uh, the cost of things going up, wages going up, uh, supply chains going up, all that sort of stuff. Even with some positive news more recently around the economy and inflation coming down and unemployment is going up, it's around 4% now, I, I do believe. So it's going up to towards that 4.5% that the RBA was trying to get to before they start cutting interest rates and that sort of thing. But it, that's all looking good. There's some positive um, outcomes with that happening right now that we can see. Nonetheless, the knock-on effect and the flow-on effect of these uh, tight times, let's call them that, for some industries is still going to stick around, right? So these that makes sense that these business owners and leaders are, are starting to look at, geez, how do we get more done? How do we get more productive? How do we get more for what's what we're or what is this is already costing us? Um, so, in other words, how do we get better, right? Um, and the more extreme cases of those are how do we get, how do we now cut costs? We have to cut costs. We're going backwards. What I want to talk about today uh, in that theme is how do you do that? How do you tighten up from a HR perspective? And there's four things that we'll run through. Four different um, obvious steps to take. Um, when you might take them, uh, why you would take them, and, and, and how you may easily go about it. Um, of course, with all of these steps, as with everything, you know your business, right? If you don't know your business that well, then get to know it pretty well before you make any drastic decisions and changes because um, everything needs to be done with a strategy. But there's got to be an outcome, a, a, a desired outcome uh, that you're trying to get to before you start taking drastic steps, drastic measures and change the way that work is done, change the volume of staff, all that sort of stuff. 
you've got to know your business first. So if you don't have a handle on all that data, that information that you really need to, do that first. That's a bit of a, a caveat on this one. There's going to be four things we look at. I'll run through those pretty quickly now. Um, number one, we're going to do uh, uh, have a talk about moving on your bottom 10%. So that means identifying your bottom 10% performers and, and moving on them and, and getting that changed. Um, two styles of performance management. So number two, number three will be performance management. Number two will be for your people. Um, and then number three will be the next level up, okay, teams, leaders, that sort of thing. Um, and number four, uh, which is a more drastic measure, and especially for this one, you want to know your data. You want to know how your business is functioning, operating, what it's costing you, uh, what you're getting output uh, for your spend in specific areas of your business, specific functions, and that is a restructure, right, where we're going to outsource functions, identify opportunities to do that where we can um, save a lot of cost when you need to. Um, and that is a, that's the most drastic of all measures, of course. That's one step away from shutting the doors, really. Um, now that's not always negative either. You know, you can you can make these you can make those changes, restructures, and things when things are good for you, when you're operating really well. Um, in fact, over the years, sometimes we've actually outsourced functions because businesses got really good at what they do. Um, it didn't make sense anymore to spend so much money on functions that they could. Um, work really well with outside service providers, HR being one of those options, right? Um, so we'll talk more about that. So let, let's get into that. Number one was identifying and moving on your bottom 10%. The way you want to do this is a very simple measure. Um, we can get the, the leaders in the organization um, and it doesn't matter how many people you got here, right? If you've got less than 10 people, 10% is one person. Um, now, um, in fact, getting rid of that one person in a team of 10 or, or lower uh, who is holding the team back and dragging the team down performance-wise will be a massive weight lifted from your team. And productivity and efficiencies and things will be will be re realized pretty quickly in that scenario, right? Um, now, if you've got a, a larger organization, bigger teams and that sort of thing, then we want to look and do a bit of a score system across everybody, really. Um, and you can do this in any number of ways, but the easiest way to do it is just to have um, a, a, you know, a ranking score out of five. Get a spreadsheet, put a drop-down list with the scoring one to five, uh, one being really bad, five being really good, and, and measure the two, three, four things that are really important to you. That might be trust, reliability, potential performance, past performance, and get, these, get everybody ranked one to five. Um, yeah, but these, four, these two, three, four items that you're scoring could be anything um, that's more relevant to your business. Whatever, whatever is going to enable you to go, well, the bottom 10% performers in these critical key areas are, are this bunch of people, right? Um, that's really easy to do, right? It takes about 60 seconds to get it done, depending on how many people you've got, right? So let's say you've done that. What do you do next? That's where we move on the 10%, the bottom 10%. When I say move on them, uh, you're either getting them up out of the bottom 10% or you're getting them out of the organization. May sound harsh, may sound a bit brutal, uh, but in an organization or a scenario where you're bleeding money, 
you're losing revenue um, or you know your, your, your customers are upset because they're not they're not getting the service that you promised them um, and that's due to maybe your team's too big you've got inefficiencies you've brought in the wrong people you've taken your eye off the ball and your systems aren't great anymore you need improvement but that bottom 10 percent is lagging and holding you back they're good reasons why you might want to take a harsher approach rather than the soft um, approach that we've all been taking for the, for a number of years when times have been good, right? Um, so getting them out or getting them up, let's talk about that. Some of those people in that bottom 10% might be casual. Some of them might be permanent. Um, some of them might be contractors. You know, Obviously, contractors and, and casuals, you can get out of the organization pretty quickly. Um, permanence, not so much, especially if there's no history there of addressing performance, which has been a big problem for, you know, was, let's say most businesses out there, even businesses who are who aren't in in trouble have a very hard time doing performance management well and addressing poor performance. In fact, you know, when when times are good and money is coming into the the accounts, um, profits being made, that sort of thing. Uh, that's that's when it's really easy for companies to get poor performers really protected and out of, out of the spotlight and um, able to hide because, you know, you've got millions of dollars coming into your business. Um, how bad can things be, right? How, how much do you have to actually – how much pressure do you actually have to put on people because things are obviously working and good. Um, so uh, when that changes and shifts, all of a sudden – the spotlights come on and you can see who these people are, right? And uh, there's been no history of performance management. There's been no addressing them for performance. Uh, there's been no conversations recorded about, hey, you've got to pick up your, pick up your, your, your slack or you're, you're weighing the team down. That's pretty common. Um, so you've got to start from scratch and that's too late, right? Um, an argument for performance management, which we'll talk about next. Um, so what do you do? What do you do at that point? Well, you do you do this scoring system and you get your bottom 10% and you and instantly you issue some warnings, right? Fire a shot across the bow, uh, maybe roll out a performance improvement plan document. And that's a really simple document. We, we've got, uh, in fact, jump on, jump on the, the, the website, www.workplaceas.com. Um, there's there's a section there you can download some performance tools. One of those one of those documents is a performance improvement plan, one page single page document where you can actually spell out the areas you need you need improved. So um, go there and, and download that. But what we will do is we'll issue some warnings to that bottom ten percent. Um, if we if we're going to give them a chance to stay on board and and try to get them up, this is what we're going to do. Give them a warning. Give them a performance improvement plan that spells out exactly what you're trying to achieve, what they what they've got to produce for you. They're going to be measured again in two weeks, one month, whatever it is. You know, write that in, um, and then follow that. Do it. Check in again. If performance is still the same, gone down, it's another warning, or maybe it's time to exit, um, and it's another performance improvement plan review period for two weeks, four weeks, whatever it is. Um, start to apply some pressure. Get the performance better. Move these people up or move them out. That drops that heavy weight, that bottom 10% anchor on your business. That's going to deal with that. You're going to start getting more for your more bang for your buck, right? That's one measure. Let's go to number two, performance management of your people. We just went through um, 
a scenario where when times are good, performance management doesn't happen. Um, that that's that's true for most businesses. It really is, um, and that's a shame. But uh, when you're t- you're trying to tighten up and you're trying to get better, more more bang for your buck, or operate at a more effective level to bring your cost down, performance is key to that. You must have performance management. There must be feedback. There must be clear, tangible, um, established standards of work and performance levels that everyone understands they have to do. You, you, that must be there if you're serious about tightening up and getting better. So performance manage your people. I find the best way to do this is in quarterly steps. Like I said before, you've got to understand the data in your business. You've got to understand the the uh, the levers at play that you can pull to get better performance. You've got to understand how much money things are costing you, the return on that investment, what that needs to be. Um, you've got to understand which functions are uh, struggling, why they're struggling. Do they have the tools that are fit for the p- for purpose of their role? Are the systems holding them back? All that sort of stuff. You've got to know these things to be able to put effective performance management in place. Otherwise, you ha- you run the risk of just of losing good people, putting putting pressure on good people unnecessarily and having the good people leave the organization. You don't want to do that. But performance management of your people is important and do it quarterly at least four times a year. Now, look, you've got to give them a chance to actually perform, right? Um, When I say performance management too, I'm not talking about disciplinary focused performance management. That's what we were talking about before, that bottom 10% with performance improvement plans and warnings. This is just... Um, establishing the system of performance measurement and feedback, putting those mechanisms in place. Do it quarterly. Be very clear on what has to be performed, what um, you know, cascade from a higher level strategic strategic plan, cascading down to the people, tasks, KPIs, measures, and give them a quarter, give them three months to actually demonstrate they're doing it. Then measure that. Okay, that's that's the best way to do it. Um, let's jump into number three pretty quickly because they're kind of the same thing, but we're taking it up a level. Performance management of of the team uh, level performance, which is essentially performance managing your leaders. Okay, um, many many organisations who who do performance management, um, you know, regularly and frequently, often forget one thing: managing the leaders, talking to the leaders. Um, you know that the 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 frontline execution roles that they've got a measure on that they've got they've got performance measurement going there they've got feedback and metrics and all that sort of stuff happening there and it's the role of the leaders to actually you know talk that stuff through and feed it back up in reporting to the to the higher levels um, sometimes though those people aren't performance managers themselves um, and what what happens what tends to happen there is that the um, the the, the frontline employees. Um, may often feel su- subjected to unfair um, performance measures. Um, they may feel that, you know what, um, actually I've, it's, it, I've got a poor leader. My leader doesn't understand what's going on. In fact, you know, um, they got promoted into that leadership position because they were good at doing the job, but it doesn't, mean, it doesn't make them a good leader. In fact, that, you know, that they're not even um, giving me great leadership and, and I don't want to be here. Uh, you hear that all the time, right? There's that. What's that saying? P- uh, good people don't leave organisations; they leave their bosses. Um, it's true, yes. And this is kind of the scenario that we're talking about. 
Uh, leaders need healthy, regular performance management themselves. Although it comes in a bit of a different form. There's more coaching, more mentoring, a bit more rope uh, is given to those to those leaders, um, a bit more freedom as to how they execute their roles uh, than the, the next level below. Um, so you've got to have – you can't just it's, – it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah. Sometimes it can be, but um, you've got to be sure that you're, you're using the right performance management system and tools and frequencies for your leaders um, as well. So take take a fresh look at that. Don't just look at your your frontline execution roles and performance manage them one way and just say, well, that's how we do everybody in the organization. Um, often that won't work that well. So um, just just be careful with that. Make sure that you're, you're tightening that up. Let's go into the most drastic measure because um, quite often businesses may um, react and jump straight into Number four, which is restructures and redundancies. When businesses um, start to come off a good period and start to go downhill and that's that downhill month or week or quarter is repeated, panic starts to set in sometimes and there may be some drastic measures taken. Uh, we'll jump to making people redundant. Um, it's common. It's part of the working life, the working world. Um, you know, even I myself, I've been made redundant a few times. I've made myself redundant a couple of times. Um, I'm no stranger to it at all, uh, but um, it does happen, okay? Let's go back to the point we were making before. Before you go ahead and make decisions on redundancies and restructures, you've got to, again, you've got to know the data in your business. You have to understand where your money's being spent, where you're getting your return, where it's working, where it's not. Um, and why that is. You have to know this stuff. Jumping ahead, looking at your organization for how to restructure it, how to look at um, which positions belong um, on board and stay staying on board and which positions can be pushed out. One of the, one of the things we do is we will, at, at this point in time, at this, at this um, sort of process with our clients is that we'll, um, conduct some functional assessments. And we'll do that in a number of ways. We do that by surveys, by um, interviews with, with employees, by interviews with the, the senior leadership, reviewing strategic plans um, and, and the objectives that were in place against the performance that took place in the last 12 months, um, speaking uh, uh, and learning about the, the, the next 12 months, what the industry is doing, what the, what the influences are going to be, um, what pressures are likely to exist, and what the business is going to have to respond to and have have the ability to, to respond to very quickly and have control of all the time. And that will give us a whole bunch of information about what's critical to the business um, and what isn't. Um, aside from that, there are some obvious teams and functions and, and, and things and departments, let's call them, in organizations that can usually be outsourced. Um, so... There's, there's a few that come to mind immediately and they are HR is one of them. May sound weird, may sound strange, but um, internal HR teams, let, let's, let's talk about this for a second. The, the internal HR team, um, regardless of size, is guilty of uh, one, th one thing 
always, in my view. Um, now, I'm vocal against the HR uh, profession, occupation. I, I, I point out the flaws in that profession quite frequently, um, even though I'm in it. Um, but internal HR teams often uh, are left with all the shit no one else wants to deal with, right? Not just the HR function itself, that which is highly analytical, highly strategic, um, and requires heavy execution all the way through the organization. Uh, it requires capability at all levels to be able to have that function properly. On top of all that, if some if something if there's something someone doesn't want to deal with in your in your organiz- the organization, the teams, the management teams, that sort of stuff, it basically lands on the HR person's desk. What happens in all, in internal HR teams is that they get so bogged down with that sort of stuff um, that HR internally becomes ineffective more often than not. Um, creating leaders who are capable enough, knowledgeable enough, and skilled enough in relationships, um, in conversations, in challenging people appropriately, constructively, establishing performance, giving good feedback, all that sort of stuff. That reduces how much HR um, support, hand-holding, conversations, problems, disputes, all that stuff, it reduces all that stuff if you have leaders who are who are well-trained, well-developed, that sort of thing, right? So organizations are smart these days to put that training development into their leaders in, in every every area, not just say, well, that's HR's problem, um, you know, and, and many leaders are guilty of that. You know, they'll say, well, we've got a performance issue. Uh, it's HR. Call up HR. Can you deal with this? Give this person a warning. All that sort of stuff, right? The better your leaders are at that sort of stuff, the less HR you need um, full-time in, in-house. So if you're in a position where you've got leaders who are capable, um, then you're in a position where you can have HR removed from the business and have it outsourced. The beauty of that is you can turn it on and off. You don't need to spend, you know, and, and my, my, if you're going to have an internal HR team, um, for for an organization of any more than let's say any more than 20 25 people um it's it's that spend is at least half a million bucks a year um you can outsource that function get the high level strategic support you need get the execution level support you need when you need it get all the compliance stuff done um keep up to date with new laws coming out which internal hr people also that they struggle with a lot um that you know they become experts on the on the within the four walls of where they operate but there's an entire industry and, and legal system out there that they don't keep on top of. So it, there's actually benefits to having it outsourced. Um, these outsourced providers must, well, you know, let, let's talk about workplace advisory specialists right now. Um, one, one of our points of differentiation is that we're experts in industrial relations. So um, it's not just HR itself, HR systems, structures, frameworks, policies, documents, all that sort of stuff. What most HR consultants will do is when it gets to disputes and fair work claims and that sort of stuff, they don't want to borrow that. They're going to tell you to go to a lawyer. Um, you know, a, an organization like Workplace Advisory Specialists is um, going to stay with you the entire way through. So you don't need to um, uh, go out and spend even more money uh, just because someone's unhappy. Um, but that, 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 that's also what I'm talking about with respect to the, the right consultant, the right business, the right team of external um, outsourced HR providers, 
will have their finger on the pulse and will understand the law and the changes and, and the compliance obligations that you're going to have and advise you better than your internal team. Um, so there's a, there's a function, for example, that can be outsourced pretty easily. Um, another one is marketing. An internal marketing team, very expensive. The wages, trying to compete in the market to get the best marketing people who are rare as hen's teeth, plenty of marketing people out there that aren't worth aren't worth um, yeah, a, a dollar. Um, they're still going to demand that you pay them 100, 100K or something like, like that. So, you know, the marketing teams can get very, very expensive. Um, marketing these days is... Uh, rapidly changing um the rules of marketing and digital marketing especially uh change too frequently uh for university degrees to keep up and, and to be relevant in that in that industry you can just do google courses and stuff like that and be and be a better marketer than someone who's just done a four or five year degree um so you know who do you need internally well let's say you've got a team of of, of a whole marketing team um and it's time to sh to tighten up uh, the 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 purse strings a little bit. That's a that's a department I'm going to go to and say, well, what are you doing? What are you producing? What is happening that we need to have control of this in house so we can respond to it so quickly that um, an outsourced option isn't giving us? Do we just need two people instead of five or six? Do we just need a a digital marketing coordinator instead of a manager? Um, a director, a manager, or this, or that, you know, all these levels of, of capability in a marketing team. Um, but that, that's another area of the business where you can easily outsource that function. Again, you've got to find the right marketing um, outsource service provider. That industry is full of cowboys, let me tell you. That industry is full of organizations that make enormous promises, under-deliver, and then blame their clients, and they get away with it. So. You've got to be careful with that, with that with that outsource option as well, but it's very possible, right? In a, in a number of ways. Another department is your finance department, your finance team. So, you know that that may sound a bit strange. You, of course, you want to have control of budgets, of expenditure, of you know um, cash and all that sort of stuff. And you can still do that by while outsourcing. You just keep a uh, you know, financial controller or a, a finance manager, whatever you want to call them, something like that, or even someone at a lower level, if depending on what your business needs. Um, but outsource the bookkeeping or outsource the, the strategic component. Get, a, get an outsourced uh, CFO to do all strategy work with you. Um, work with um, a, your, your you know, a large, successful, a big, uh, um, not necessarily a, a big or large successful um, firm, but you know a reasonable enough accounting firm. Um, that is going to give you strategic advice, give you proactive financial support if they have that service option. Some of them do, right? Um, so you can outsource a portion or all of that stuff as well. So look, there's three there's three functions in your organisation you can you can uh, decide to outsource pretty easily, um, provided that the conditions are right and that you've got the right partners. So restructure redundancies. What functions can you outsource and get way more? Um, efficiency, productivity, and output for what it's costing you. HR, marketing, finance, three three of your first areas to look at. Um, and now, of, of course, with redundancies, restructures, let's let's talk about the things you've got to know if you're going to go down that road while we're on that topic. 
whether you've got award-based people, uh, enterprise bargaining agreements or non-award or award-free people um, employed in your organization, the best thing to do, the best practice and often the compliance requ- the compliance requirement obligations you've got is to enter a, a consultation period. Most uh, all, all enterprise agreements and, and uh, modern awards are going to tell you that you've got to consult with your workforce for any major workplace change. Major workplace change is anything that affects their hours, their um, their rostering, their income, including termination of employment, right? Um, and and other things. You can read your award or your, your enterprise agreement. And there's a there should be a consultation section that you can look at. And you, it spells out what what it determines to be major workplace change and and just general change. Um, but let's not get too technical. What I advise all people to do is just to run that process regardless. Regardless if you've got award-based and EBA employees, if you've just got non-award, non-award employees, um, just run that process regardless. Why? Two reasons. Number one, tick your compliance box. Yes, obviously, right? You've got, you've got to make sure you do that. Um, but do a genuine con- consultation because um, quite often you'll get a good idea come back, right? The, the consultation period that I like to run is no more than two, three days. So it's not we're not talking about running running discussions and feedback and and getting deep in details for for a number of weeks, and then not not doing anything with the information. There's no minimum time frame you have to run a consultation period for. But um, if you set up a, a mechanism where employees can provide feedback once they know what's happening with the the um, the proposal for restructure and that sort of thing. Um, you open up a, a line of communication for those employees to come back and give you feedback in order to to avoid redundancies and that sort of stuff. You'll be surprised at what comes back. Sometimes, sometimes there's going to be a nugget of a nugget of gold in there, or something that you didn't understand or realise that you could do. Um, and those people at the front line, working at the front line, who are going to be directly affected by your decisions, may have some insight that you don't. Um, you know, maybe they maybe they can feel the pressure. Maybe they know the writings on the wall. Maybe they've been talking to each other about this for a week, two weeks, three weeks before you've gone and had this conversation with them. Maybe they've agreed between themselves. Listen, if this happens, maybe we should all just take a pay cut, take a twenty percent pay cut or something, and 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 save a few jobs. Maybe they've already had that conversation with each other in their teams. You just don't know. Um, but it's also it's a healthy period. It's a healthy thing to go through. Upsetting, yes. Stressful, yes. Um, concerning and all that sort of stuff, yes, it is. Do it the right way. Um, keep keep the the feedback um, and, and communication open, um, and you're going to get through all that just fine. Um, but the the benefits of doing that, aside from the compliance ticking uh, box ticking exercise, of course, doing it genuinely, uh, genuinely, will often reap rewards. So um, make sure you do that. Okay. Let's just uh, leave that there. There's four different ways to tighten up the organization in today's, you know, um, economic, economically stressful times. Let's call them that. Um, so, look, let's let's have, before we go, oh, <clears throat> bit of an IR update, industrial relations update. About a year, I'm gonna get cocky on you now. About a year ago, maybe even more. Uh, I started getting really vocal and concerned that this multi-employer bargaining rules that the, the government brought in, which is 
you know, other words, single interest bargaining. These laws that the government brought in that changed the way you can do enterprise bargaining agreements um, and gave unions far more power to get industry-wide covering or cover, cover multiple employers with one single EBA that they've, they've bargained. I was beating my chest like a maniac, you know, a year ago or more, and I was saying, well, this is bad because um, this can be weaponized. Tier one operators can take this and weaponize it, make agreements and side deals with the unions saying, look, we'll give you this agreement. We'll give you a really really nice high, um, higher wage agreement, drive drive the wages up in the industry. Um, but let's go to this back room over here and have a little conversation, shall we? Let's do a little deal here where, you know, we'll sign this agreement. You go and take this now to the industry and, and apply to the Fair Work Commission to get single interest bargaining and cover all of our, our competitors. Um, now, why would they do that? How would that be weaponized? Well, what that does is um, imposes um, the, the, the highest, uh, the industry's highest wage payer. It imposes their pay rates, their employment conditions on every one of their competitors. Essentially, it price fixes the, the cost of doing work across the industry. And someone who's the largest competitor in that industry or the largest player in that industry who has supply chains bigger and better and stronger and, and longer than anyone else in that sector who can get things cheaper, faster, more readily um, and, and you know has done for some time, has those benefits that these other businesses don't have, can now compete better than those smaller businesses. These smaller businesses who may be still large in size driving their wage bill right up, which is their highest bill they've got, right? Driving that wage bill right up to match the highest in the industry, mandated by an enterprise bargaining agreement, which is which is essentially law, you must pay it, um, means you can't compete anymore. You're going to drop out of the running. The big tier one operator now takes even more market share. That's how you would weaponize multi-employer bargaining. Multiplex has uh, just signed with the CFMEU a, a, um, an enterprise bargaining agreement that will give a level three construction worker uh, basically $200,000 a year for working a 56-hour a week. Um, and uh, the union, the CFMEU, has outright stated in, um, I think it was the Australian newspaper a couple of days ago, outright stated that they are putting the entire industry on notice and that, and that every employer should be on notice um, regarding this agreement. Um, their intention is to flow mandated wage increases based on that agreement. You, at that level, that 25% increase of wages across the entire construction industry. Um, this is what we're talking about, right? This is what we're talking about a year ago. Um, so... It took a while, but I, I think we're about to see it unfold. Um, could be wrong, but right now I'm going to beat my chest and say I'm pretty good. So, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, no Nostradamus, but I think this one was easy to easy to predict, you know. Um, I'm surprised it took so long to see, you know, what looks like this weaponizing to roll out. Um, took a, a while to get there. The unions sort of figured out how to do it, I think, um, and, and now they're So, yeah. Multi-employer enterprise bargaining. Uh, we're starting to see it. Uh, I think we're starting to see it be, we be weaponized. Anyway, let's watch this deal and, and see how it rolls out. The CFMEU will uh, will be pretty active with it. I'm pretty sure. So that's it, right? Um, I hope that's been helpful. If you're one of those businesses who's looking at tightening the the belt, 
um, wondering about the best ways to do it. You've got three steps there that we've given that you can go through um, before you get to the drastic part of of cutting people's jobs away by redundancies and restructures and that sort of thing. But if you need to get to that point, um, you know there there are obvious functions and and teams within the organisation that you're able to outsource a bit easier, um, and or, or, albeit very carefully. Um, so uh, consider those things. Until next time, keep it tight, workplace, and we'll talk soon.